You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Well, thanks, Matt, very much for the, the warm introduction. I'm going to go ahead and move this. I, church where I pastored, they had like this pulp thing here, and I'm going to try something different. I'm not used to having something that's not between me and you. So uh, if I feel, if I look really awkward, then that's why. So anyway, uh, but thank you, Matt, for the, the nice introduction, and thank you to the elder team here uh, just for the opportunity to, to come and worship with you and to share a little bit from God's Word with you this morning. It's a, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, like Matt said, uh, I, I do have a family. Uh, there you go. That's them. Uh, unfortunately, they're not able to be with me today, um, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you why here in a moment. But uh, it's my wife, Jamie. We've been married for 13 years, and we have four beautiful kids, Avery, Brandon, Robin, and Rowan, and they are ages eight, seven, six, and four, respectively. And so uh, I don't know where the last eight years went, but here we are. Uh, it's been a kind of a whirlwind. But uh, they say a picture's worth a thousand words, and uh, I'll just let you draw your own conclusions. <laughs> that was this Christmas, and uh, we tried like 30 times to take a Christmas picture, and this is the best one we got. So, uh, but I'm very blessed to have a family, uh, wonderful, wonderful wife and children. Uh, but the reason they're not with me today is kind of interesting. So, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, the the ministry my wife and I are involved with here in a moment. But she had uh, to take some classes uh, uh, for this this new role down in Daytona Beach, Florida. And so, uh, for the last two weeks, she's been in Daytona Beach studying the Bible, and I've been here working and taking care of four kids by myself. And so, uh, praise God, they're still alive. Um, And uh, man, I have a whole new uh, respect for single parents who are raising kids on their own because it is intense. It is intense. And uh, my wife and I are definitely a team, and uh, without her, nothing really works the way it's supposed to. Um, But Needless to say, I felt like it was probably a good idea not to bring them with me this morning because chasing four kids would have been, it would have been like herding cats and you probably would have just hated it (laughs) because the little guy would be running across here by now. And so anyway, uh, but they're with their grandparents this morning. Uh, For the past 10 years, like Matt said, um, I've been serving as a pastor in Prairie Grove, uh, I'm, I'm not originally from Arkansas. Um, I'm originally from a small town in western Kansas. Uh, and my wife is from Oklahoma. We met in Kentucky, naturally, and so when I was in seminary. And 10 years ago, we moved to uh, Prairie Grove. And I started as the youth pastor at the church and did that for four years. And then I just changed lanes and became the lead pastor uh, for the past six. And that was all the way up until uh, the beginning of September of this fall. Um, last summer, my wife and I started sensing that the Lord was moving us into a different, a different focus of ministry. And so uh, we have joined the staff of, of Crew. Um, you may be familiar with uh, Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. And we will be at the University of Arkansas um, and working with college students. And so we're really excited about that. College student ministry is something that has been very near to my heart for 
a long time, largely because I was a college student when I came to know the Lord. And I think the best way for me to, to start this morning uh, to maybe explain a little bit about what we'll be doing and then to get into the text in Scripture that we'll be looking at is to tell you just a little bit of, of my own story of how I came to know Christ. Uh, growing up, if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. Uh, but only because I attended church, I went to youth group, um, I was you know, probably a pretty good kid. I stayed out of trouble for the most part. Um, got good grades, was involved in lots of athletics and sports and, or activities and stuff like that. Um, I believed the facts about Jesus, I guess. But the truth was that I did not have a personal relationship with him. I did not understand um, my need for him to save me. And he certainly wasn't at the center of my life. There were plenty of other things that I was preoccupied with that, uh, you know, I really looked to for satisfaction and for a sense of purpose. And that became really evident, I think, when I went to college. You know, growing up in Kansas, I, I decided to go to Kansas State University. Um, and uh, during my freshman year, I think I, I did what most college students end up doing, is that I... I dove headlong into uh, a very sinful lifestyle. Uh, I joined a fraternity. Um, I, I sort of fulfilled a, a childhood dream by, by walking onto the basketball team and playing basketball. Uh, and growing up, that was a big identity thing for me. Um, and through those two avenues, um, you know, I, and I guess going to class, you know, those three things dominated my life. But I really just dove into a lot of, of sin that looked fun and seemed fun at first, um, like it, it always does. But over time, it just started to build up a lot of guilt and shame and confusion in my life. And that grew and grew and grew until uh, the end of my sophomore year. And uh, by that time, I was just crushed under the weight of it all, really. Kind of like that song we just sang, um, just the, that weight. Um, and... All I knew that I wanted was, was a new start. I just wanted to begin again. Uh, I noticed when I walked in this morning, right there above the, the uh, right, when you, right when you walk in, the first thing you see is welcome to New Life Church. And I can't remember the exact wording, but it says a place to have a fresh start. And I thought, that's it right there. That's what I wanted. Well, it was about that time that um, a friend of mine uh, named Brandon um, lived in the same fraternity as I did. Um, one night we struck up a conversation while we were studying, and he could tell that I was kind of troubled and struggling with things in my life. And he listened, he asked good questions, and then he, he walked me through God's plan of salvation. And for the first time in my life, I, I understood my need for a Savior. And I understood that... Uh, you know, I could have that new start that I was so longing for if I would trust in Jesus' forgiveness and if I would surrender my life to him. And so that, that night, right there in the living room of a fraternity house, I trusted in Christ. I was born again, and I became a new creature in him. And so the thing that I, I really am thankful for about 
Brandon, the guy who led me to Christ, was that he didn't just lead me to Christ and say, hey, good luck, see you later. For the next year, he invested heavily in my life. He, um, he helped me grow in my faith. He, he walked with me through a lot of uh, questions, a lot of doubts, um, uh, just a lot of struggles that I was still sorting through from the past two years or more of my life. He, uh, he, helped, he just modeled what it looked like to follow Christ in the everyday stuff of life. He, he helped me learn new habits. He helped me learn how to, how to pray, how to um, uh, read the Bible, how to study it, how to, how to apply it in my life. He, he taught me how to share my faith. He would take me along with him sometimes. With, he was meeting with somebody else that was not a believer, and he was going to share his faith with them. So he's like, hey, you want to come with me? And that's how I learned how to share my faith, was watching him share his faith with them. Um, he, he also... Uh, kind of introduced me to a larger body of believers, a larger community. Uh, invited me to church, and I got involved in a local church. I got involved with crew as a college student. Um, so all those things Brandon did after he led me to Christ, and it was absolutely life-changing for me. And the result of his, his investment in me was that I was both prepared and highly motivated to turn around and do that exact same thing for other people. Um, and really, for the last 22 years of my life, you do the math. I was 20 then, 22, I'm 42. But for the last half of my life, I, that's been the primary focus of it. Um, it was so life-changing to me that that was the passion that took hold in my heart, and that's what I wanted to do, is just... Kind of like Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he told Timothy, uh, these things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others also. And so it's just this matter of making investments in the lives of some faithful people and then equipping them to do the very same thing. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. And so uh, in this next season of my life, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being on a college campus again. Uh, it's been a long time, and uh, I know that there are plenty of students that are lost, like I was there, but God is, is doing something in their hearts, and they need somebody to go to them. They need somebody to be for them what Brandon was for me, and so that's my hope, is that uh, we'll be able to, uh, to do that. Um, Crew's basic mission is to help lost students become Christ-centered laborers, and uh, that's that's what we're going to be seeking to do. And I, I share all of that with you because I think it, it gives you, again, an idea of the nature of our ministry with crew. Um, that's what they're all about. But it, it, it also, um, I think, illustrates well the incredible life change that, uh, that God can bring forth through ordinary people like you and me, like my friend Brandon. Um, if we'll embrace Jesus' command to go and make disciples. You know, Brandon, you know, he was just your average college student. He wasn't, you know, the most educated guy in the world. I mean, he wasn't an idiot, but he wasn't, he wasn't the most educated. He didn't have a, a seminary degree or anything like that. Um, he wasn't an eloquent speaker. Um, you know, he, 
In fact, he, he, he hadn't even known Christ that long before he shared his faith with me. I think it was the, about a year and a half before that, he became a Christian as a college student. But I'll tell you one thing that Brandon did have. He had a big faith, and he had a willing heart. And the longer that I follow Jesus, the more convinced I am that those two characteristics, big faith and a willing heart, are the primary things that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for faithful men and women who will say yes when he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He's looking for people who will say yes when he says, go and make disciples. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be able to do that, if I'm going to be able to say yes to him in those things, then I need more of of his heart. Specifically, I need him to direct my thoughts and my perceptions, uh, my values, and my emotions, so that I don't come to worldly conclusions about whether or not it's worth it to reach lost people with the gospel and make disciples. Because if I, if I think, if I perceive, if I value, if I, if I feel like the world does, I won't go. I won't do it. And neither will you. Uh, we will be far too self-absorbed with our, our own lives to care about other people that much. And so, with that said, this morning what we're going to do is look at a passage that I think captures Jesus' heart for the lost. And it gives us a clear sense of, of what we need him to do in our hearts if we're going to actually be his hands and feet to a world that so desperately needs him. So, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. And once you get there, uh, go down to verse 35. Um, and if it's okay with you, um, would you mind standing with me just in honor of God's word? And we'll, we'll read the text. Um, I'll read it. It'll be up on the screen. I'm reading from the, um, the English Standard Version. Yours might read just a little bit differently. If, if you can't stand, that's okay. But mainly this is just the posture of our heart, just to, be, just to honor the Lord and honor his word. So Matthew 9, 35 through 38 And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, thank you for the example of Jesus in this text. And I pray that as we look look closely into it this morning, I pray that you would teach us through your spirit. Pray that you would help us to see things that you want us to, to learn and to apply in our lives, things that you want to change about our hearts. So, Lord, we just come to you in this, this, this moment and ask you to do a work in us so that we can be more like Jesus and that we'll be able to say yes to your command to go and make disciples 
to say yes to uh, the people that you want to send us to with the good news. And so we, we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, let's, let's just take a closer look then at this passage together. Uh, really what I want to do is just make three simple observations about it, uh, specifically about the way Jesus related to the lost people in this passage. And we'll just make a few observations or a few applications as we go. So the first observation is this, is that Jesus recognized lostness. He recognized it. In verse 36, the, the, the second part of it, look at how Matthew describes the crowds. It says that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, those are Matthew's words, but I wonder if he was just simply writing down what he had heard Jesus say. You can imagine Jesus with his disciples and seeing the crowds of people and saying, fellas, look at all these people. They're like lost sheep. Sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're harassed and helpless. And so it's a little hard for us to maybe get that metaphor of lost sheep, but take a look at this picture. You guys bring that up. That is a sheep. Have you, anybody seen this picture before? Okay, I hadn't seen it until last night. I had to email Matt, and I was like, dude, i got to change my PowerPoint because i got to show this picture. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook. That sheep is, is, uh, was, became quite famous back in around 2004. Uh, has a name. It's, it's called, its name is Shrek the Sheep. Yeah, and I'll just read this to you. It's just a little thing I found about Shrek the Sheep. This is Shrek the Sheep. He became famous several years ago when he was found after getting lost and hiding in caves for six years. Of course, during this time, his fleece grew without anyone having been there to to shave it. When he was finally found and shaved, his fleece weighed an amazing 60 pounds. 60 pounds. Most sheep have a fleece weighing just under 10 pounds, with the exception usually reaching 15 pounds. Maximum. For six years, Shrek carried six times the regular weight of his fleece simply because he wandered away from his shepherd. The point here, I think, is that when a sheep gets lost, if a person is lost, they start to accumulate extra added weight that we don't really have to bear. Described to you earlier when I was lost as a college student, that was exactly the way I felt. Guilt, shame, confusion, all of it just started to mount, and the weight was just crushing. You know, lost sheep, they, they don't realize they're lost a lot of the time, right? Uh, I'm, no, I'm no shepherd. I don't, I don't know that culture, really, but... You know, from what I do understand, a lost sheep is not only crushed by the weight of their, their wool or anything like that. They're not just looking haggard like that thing is. But, you know, really they're, they're in danger. They don't know it, but they're in danger. It won't take long before they run out of pasture and they starve. It won't take long until they perhaps get swept away by a flood and they drown. 
won't take long before they fall off of a cliff. Won't take long before they uh, are devoured by a predator. They're in danger. And whether they're willing to admit it or not, lost people are like lost sheep. Deep down, they're scared, they're confused, they're exhausted, just trying to find their own way. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the unbelievers, the, the lost people that you know. Okay? Get them in your mind. Think about the ones that you know. They may not fit, seem to fit that description. On the surface, anyway. Think about some of the things that they post on, fa- uh, on like Facebook or other social media. Um, I know some of the, the lost people I know uh, will post things and they, they seem quite fulfilled, self-confident, self-assured. That's the air that they give off, not just in social media, but just in all of their life. So you can't see it because the surface looks fine. But deep down, if you can see them with the eyes of Christ and not be fooled by the facade of all of that other stuff, then what you'll recognize is a sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees them. He sees, he sees that. And we need him to open our eyes so that we see him that way too. So Jesus recognizes lostness. It's not enough, though, for us just to recognize it, just to be able to see it around us, right? Because we can see it, and if it ends there, then what good have we done, right? We also need Jesus to help us to respond to that lostness. And that's the second observation I want to make from the text, is that Jesus had compassion for the lost. He recognized it, but then he had compassion for them. The first part of verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. The literal meaning of the Greek word that's translated compassion is to be moved to pity in one's stomach. To be moved to pity in one's stomach. So in practical terms, I think compassion is that very strong emotion that, uh, that you feel in your gut, that moves you toward people rather than away from people uh, who are in need. Toward them rather than away from them, they're in their need, and you actually want to do something to, to help them rather than to, to watch them suffer. That's compassion. And the context here suggests that compassion is what moved Jesus to do everything that you see written there in verse 35. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Compassion was the fuel for that. It compelled him to just give very liberally of himself to meet the needs of others. So let's look at ourselves for a moment. I think we need to be honest here and acknowledge the fact that Compassion is not something that comes naturally to any of us, right? I mean, I've spent the last two weeks taking care of four little kids, and I'll be honest with you, that is just a glaring thing in my life. What, you want another snack? Sorry, I have no compassion for you. Go back and play, you know? I mean, 
compassion tank is low right now. But really, in, any, in anything, especially when it comes to, to the dealing with some of the, the sin and the lostness in the world, sometimes, man, compassion can be hard to find in our own hearts. Would you agree with me? You know, so I think it's, it's a lot more likely that the way we'll respond to the lostness and the sin around us as Christians is not with compassion, but with anger or frustration or uh, apathy. I don't care. Judgment. Um, fear. Those are the things that come a lot more naturally to us instead of compassion. Especially if we find a particular sin to be very repulsive, right? So I want you to think for a moment about the people who you personally struggle to have compassion for. Who are those people? Individuals or groups of people. Maybe for you it's the, it's the staunch atheist who lives down the street or it's your next door neighbor. Who doesn't want anything to do with God. Maybe uh, maybe it's, it's the Muslim family that lives down the street. Or that, you know, they, your kid goes to school with them. Maybe it's a co-worker who's just very liberal. Maybe uh, it's, a, it's a lazy relative who just refuses to get a job. Maybe, it, like I said, maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's the LGBTQ community. It could be any other person or group of people. Whoever that is for you, understand this, that their sin is far more offensive to Jesus than it is to you. But he has compassion for them. He has compassion for them. Just like he had compassion for you when you were controlled by sin. And he wants you and I to have compassion for them too. Now the third and final observation I'll make is this. Is that Jesus also saw the potential for salvation. He saw the potential. So he recognized the lostness. He had compassion for the lost. And he saw something. Some major potential there in them. Verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Harvest is plentiful. So what you have here is the metaphor has shifted now, right? Just a minute ago, we were looking at lost sheep. And now he's saying that, that unbelievers are, are uh, they're like wheat ready to be harvested. So there's potential salvation there. And I, I think that is just a very important and powerful truth, especially for the person who's weighed down with, their, with just a ton of guilt and shame and thinks that they're just too far gone to be saved. Because like I said earlier, you know, that was, that was me. Perhaps that was you. Maybe it's you now. Here's the truth. Jesus saw potential. He sees potential in you. And he enables others to see that potential as well. In my life, he enabled Brandon to see it. 
and pushed him to make that investment in my life. And I'm so thankful that he did. And our ability to be able to see that same potential in others ultimately boils down to two things. What we believe about God's power and his willingness to save people. About his power and his willingness to save other people. Jesus doesn't put limitations on the potential for salvation in anyone. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that? Do we believe that he's powerful enough to save anyone? Do we believe that he's willing to save even the worst of sinners? Or do we believe that there's certain people or certain types of people that are just beyond his reach? Jesus doesn't put those limitations on anyone, and neither should we. At the same time, though, look at what he says in verse 37. He says the harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. The laborers are few. And then he goes on to say in verse 38, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so, while there's great potential, the harvest is plentiful, we got a problem. There's a labor shortage in bringing that harvest in. And so what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? He tells them they need to pray. Pray for what? Pray for more laborers to be sent out into the harvest field. Let me ask you, why does he tell them to do that? Think about it. Why does he tell us as believers to pray for more laborers to be sent out into the harvest fields? Is it because God doesn't realize there's a labor shortage? No. Is it because he, he miscalculated and maybe, maybe he doesn't, doesn't care whether the harvest gets brought in or not? No, surely not. I think Jesus tells us to pray Because it's God's will that prayer always precedes his harvesting work. It always happens first. And so, if you and I are going to reap a harvest as his laborers, a sure sign that that's about to happen with any of us is because we are pleading with him for it. We're asking him for him to bring in a harvest of lost souls into his kingdom. Our hearts are broken for them. And we can't help but just plead with God to bring in more laborers who, again, they recognize lostness. God has broken their hearts for them and they have compassion for them for the lost. And they see the potential. Therefore, they're pushed over that threshold of saying, no, I'm not going to go. They're pushed over the threshold and they say, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'll go to whomever you call me to. I think that is um, that is what the, the point of this text is. It's a call to you and I to take on Jesus' heart for the lost and to get on our knees 
and to pray. And if we do, who knows what God will do? I know you're having a missions conference next weekend. And before, I I don't know everything that's going to happen next weekend. I've talked to Matt a bit about it. But I do know this, is that if anything is going to happen, if there's going to be fruit that comes from that conference, it's going to start with you and I coming before God and pleading with him to bring in a harvest of souls. Does that make sense? And so what I'd like to do, just to close, if it's okay, I would just like to pray over you as a church and ask God to raise up laborers, more laborers for the harvest. Uh, and, uh, and then I'll turn it back over to Matt. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you that uh, he's not fooled by the, the facade, the masks that we put on, um, that people put on to hide the lostness in them. Thank you that he's not fooled by that. Thank you that he's not repelled by it either. He's not so repulsed by our sin that that he doesn't have compassion to move toward us rather than away from us. Lord, and thank you that he sees the potential for what our lives can become. Lord, every one of us in this room who belongs to you has some story of how that has completely changed us. And I pray, Lord, that... uh, it would continue to change us, that we would have the heart of Christ, that he would open our eyes so that we can recognize losses, so that we can have compassion for lost people and so that we can see the potential and that we then will go, that we'll say yes to you. Whether you want us to go to our neighbors, whether you want us to go to our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates, to the ends of the earth to reach people. Lord, there's no greater purpose that we could have in this life than to do that. No greater honor, no greater privilege. So Father, I pray that you would raise up more workers for the harvest from New Life Church. I pray, God, that um, you would put burdens on the hearts of individuals in this body to be the sent people of God to people who are dying, who are, who are thirsty, who are hungry for Jesus, whether they realize it or not. And so I pray for a spirit of, of humility, a spirit of boldness, a willingness to go in the hearts of, of each and every person. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name.